Hey everyone, and welcome to the Healthy is Hot podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Wild, entertainment reporter by day, sweatpant connoisseur by night. From hashtag to movement, we believe that loving all sides of you is what's healthy, and healthy is hot. Join us as we have raw, real conversations with badass individuals living passionate lives, thriving to make their dreams come true, and diving deep into how they got to where they are. And the best part? How health is a key component of all of it. From the highs to the lows, we get into it. From fitness to mental health to aspirational careers, get ready to be inspired. Also, we don't hold back. There might be swearing, there's definitely going to be some laughing, and hopefully you can take something away from these conversations to live your best life, to live your healthy is hot life. Okay, so this week we are talking about the F word. No, not that F word. Get your head out of the gutter. I'm talking about finances. And I think there's no better time to talk about finances than right now, because if you're like me, you're scrambling to get everything in order for tax season. Oh, gotta love tax season. So I figured why not bring in a professional who knows all about finances, but does so in a way that's edgy, that's informative, and that really targets our generation. The generation that maybe didn't learn the most about financial literacy when we went to school. But hey, we're here now, we're trying to learn, we're trying to be better. And so Chantal Chapman is on the podcast this week to talk all about finances, but in a way that I haven't heard anyone else really approach finances. And she approaches it from a point of view of mindfulness and of healing. She makes the correlation between trauma and finances. And just hear me out because I know that sounds a little bit strange and maybe you've never thought about that, but the way we look at finances, our relationship with money is tied to our inner being. And that's what she illuminates in this episode. She has such an impressive background in the world of finance. I'm talking 10 years as a financial literacy consultant, 14 years as a mortgage broker. But in addition to that, she's also gone to India for training in meditation, and she's also done some more training right here in Canada. And she bridges the gap between those two worlds, which might seem incredibly different in a way that makes so much sense. So get ready to dive into another episode of the Healthiest Hot Podcast, this time all about financial health. Okay, so this is an exciting episode. I'm selfishly very excited for this because money is an issue. And I say issue right away. That's the first word that comes out of my mouth because I don't have the best relationship with finances, nor do I feel like I have the tools or the resources in my toolbox to actually know how to manage finances going forward into my life. So this is definitely a first for the Healthiest Hot podcast where we dive into financial health because as you know, probably more so than most people, financial stress is a real thing and that can have long-lasting impacts on our health. So you are here to kind of break up some of those myths, kind of reduce the stigma around financial health, and hopefully, hopefully kind of illuminate some of the ways that we can be better participants in our life with our finances. And I think that will truly trickle into all areas of our life. Yeah. So well said, Chloe. I'm so happy to be here on your podcast. Um, I love the work that you're doing. And 
talking about breaking stigma, you know, your opening for this podcast is doing that by saying, Hey, you know, I don't feel like I'm that good with my finances. And when we state our truth, we give permission to others to do so. And, and breaking any stigma is about coming together, um, the people coming together and connecting around, you know, the, the areas of their life where they feel like, Hey, I think I could do a little bit more here. I think I could have more information. I could have more support. So yeah, thanks for starting out with that. Yeah, yeah. And you're coming <laughs> from such an interesting point of view from a truly healing perspective. Yeah. Because I think, and I'm new to this financial world. Like I, I recently got an accountant. I know nothing really about how to do my taxes. Usually I just am given a T4, I plug in the numbers and then that's it. And the older I get, the more I realize, no, 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 I want to be in the driver's seat of my life. And that also comes with finances. And I'm realizing that I have a lot of work to do in that area. I don't have the best relationship with it. I feel like growing up and going to school, I, I gained a lot of information, a lot of education, but financial education wasn't really something that was ingrained in the school I went to, nor was it something that I really tapped into in university. And now at 31, I feel like a fresh newborn baby and I I don't (laughs) really know my way around it. You know, compound that with the fact that I'm a woman. And I think for a lot of women, we struggle with, you know, knowing our worth, raising our hand in meetings, asking for raises. Um, So before we even get into all of that, I'm wondering if you can maybe Take us through how you got to where you are now, because you know money, you know finances, you've got all kinds of experience, but then on the other hand, you've also got this background in Kundalini yoga and meditation and really knowing a lot about mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I had the same thoughts that you had um, around, you know, like, why didn't I learn this stuff in school? I feel like I'm not prepared. I had those thoughts. Um, in my early twenties. And the reason why I had those thoughts is because I put myself in a finance career at 21. I got licensed as a mortgage broker at 21 years old. And uh, when you're a 21 year old female, no one trusts you with the biggest purchase of their life. (laughs) So (laughs) I was really challenged in my career. Um, I had a really hard time getting clients and the clients that I was getting, I was like their last resort. So I was like really faced with seeing people's financial distress and it really accelerated that thought of like, why don't we know financial literacy? Like how are so many people in the dark here? And then I was looking at myself, like here I am um, in my career lending hundreds of thousands of dollars, yet I have credit card debt. And you know, I remember the first time I filed my taxes as a self-employed person they're like, oh yeah, so you owe sixteen thousand dollars. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You're like, ah, uh, what? Yeah. And I work in finance. I was like, what do you mean? I have to like save money through my checks. And it's because like you know I'm focusing on this area of finance, but this area of finance I just know nothing about. So I felt this like major sense of injustice. Like this is bullshit. So my um my first kind of step into the path of education was like, why didn't I learn this in high school? I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to teach teenagers about money. So I started a company called Holler for Your Dollar and I started educating teens about finances. And I would go to high schools 
and I would teach for many years. And um, I mostly taught at-risk youth. I found that to be like the most rewarding and also the most interesting because um, I saw myself in a lot of their stories. I grew up in poverty with a single mother. Um, I developed this like money story very early on. I had a lot of things come up around self-worth and basically like my whole, uh, all my goals in life were all around, um, I don't want to be in poverty. And if I have money, I will not experience pain. So, um, and I could relate to some of the at-risk youth because they had grew, they've grown up like I did, you know, like they, some of them lived in social housing. You know, we, we got our Christmas from the Christmas hampers that people so kindly donate to. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time teaching there and, um, I was still doing the mortgage broker thing for many years and then I decided to teach, to take some of my, like, um, my expertise in teaching. And I started doing some consulting with finance brands. And I basically, like, really help finance brands use financial literacy at the forefront of their marketing. So I did that for a while. I worked, like, in the corporate world for a while. And I was kind of noticing that, you know, like some of this stuff that I was teaching, like wasn't even really working on me. Like I was still doing things in my business, like undercharging, um, afraid to like increase my rates because if I increase my rates, maybe I wasn't worthy of keeping the business. Um, I was, <clears throat> I was doing a lot of superficial things around like, if I have this new designer handbag, I will fit in with all these like successful people that I want to be like. So here I am, I'm teaching financial literacy, but my behavior is a little bit messed up. And then I had an experience where um, someone in my family member was um, going through recovery and uh, with a heroin addiction. And that kind of just like blew open my world. And this started happening at the same time where I started dealing with some mental health stuff. So I was diagnosed with PTSD, um, which now I consider more to be CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, which I can talk a little bit about after when I talk about the links between trauma and money. And, um, and I, I kind of put myself on this path of healing. So this is where like the whole mindfulness came into play because I was doing trauma therapy for myself and I was in the recovery world. So I consider myself a recovering codependent. The word codependent is um, a word that a lot of people don't understand. Mm -hmm. And it's really unfortunate that we don't talk about it more because with my clients that I coach now, codependency is one of the main issues I see with their finances. Codependency, we describe as the dis-ease. So your distance from ease um, of self and like loving self and being disconnected from self. So some codependent behaviors will show up in the way of how can I prioritize everyone else's comfort over my own? Because the only reason why I'm worthy of love is if my footprint's so small, like I don't ask for anything or, you know, like the way I show up is um, not making waves. So I fit in, I buy the clothes to fit in, you know, and these are, these are codependent behaviors 
And these are so linked to what I was seeing with myself with money and my other clients with money. So I was spending a lot of time in that world, just like doing my own healing, but essentially doing research for the next chapter of my career as a money coach. And, uh, and then, yeah, like I was, I went to India twice. I've done like over 520 hours in mindfulness and Kundalini meditation teacher training. I've done like a lot of work in trauma education. I um, did some training with Dr. Gabor Mate, who's an incredible, um, uh, he's a doctor, but he specializes in recovery and trauma. And I started like, as I was on this path, I started seeing um, major shifts in my relationship with money. So as I developed more of a sense of self, I didn't need to go spend on things to, you know, increase my pleasure in the moment and decrease pain or make me feel like I was adequate. And I also was able to show up in work in a different way. So I'm like, wait a minute, if this can make um, an impact with me, I'm going to try and use this on my clients. So I basically uh, relaunched my company like three years ago, called it what the finance is. And my focus is on um, healing. So, you know, like we can work on the superficial elements of financial literacy, meaning budgeting, how to do taxes, how to invest, but we will be more successful if we don't do those things. If we take care of the narratives that are influencing the way we show up with money in the first place. So that's kind of how I work is like, first we do, first we do the exploration, what's happening, what beliefs are influencing you. Then we go into some of the more tactical financial tools. Um, and then from there, uh, I, I had a lot of people reaching out to me who worked in like the co like coaching area that wanted to, um, use my method. So we launched the trauma of money program, which actually goes deeper on this exploration of trauma and its relationship to money. So in that program, we're going to be certifying coaches, therapists, finan financial uh, professionals with this method because I was noticing too, like if you have money stress going on and you go talk to your therapist, not the therapist or the healer doesn't always feel so good about their own relationship with money. So there's a bit of a disconnect. So we want to bridge that gap. So these healers feel like they have the tools when they can talk about money. And then we also um, will go deeper in that like exploration of individuals own relationship with money. So that's kind of my story and <laughs> it's a lot, um, wow. but yeah, like I, it's a lot, but that, that's kind of like how work like this happens. It's like small little things unfold on your path that are like, okay, this is taking you this way and this way. So I mean, my, I'm blown away just by like the trajectory of your life. And I feel like this is still just the beginning of the positive impact that you'll have in the world. But it's so interesting to think that you came from situation A, where maybe it wasn't the easiest upbringing mm -hmm. and you decided to, you know, go after a career that would bring you financial stability only to realize that that financial stability brought on a lot of financial stress. Mm -hmm. You unfortunately went through a trauma had to pivot again to heal and then ended up merging what feels like your two passions, mm -hmm. healing and finances, which I never really realized were so interconnected mm -hmm. until hearing your story and hearing how codependency could be one of the issues, could be mm -hmm. one of the many narratives that we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think that's so amazing that you were able to go through something quite difficult 
and find the light in it and not only find the light in it, but be able to share that light with other people so that they themselves can find their own light mm-hmm. and ultimately go and live a better life through healing, which we all know is so beautiful, but then bring it back to something so like money. Money is something that people feel so icky talking about yeah. and kind of bridging these two worlds and, and saying, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to realize we've got some work to do and it's okay to heal. And at yeah. the end of the day, it's just going to make you a better person. Yeah. 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 That's the thing with, um, thank you for seeing me in that light, Chloe. Um, that's the thing about uh, the, our relationship with money and the healing is like, if we've experienced trauma in our life, and one of my teachers, Dr. Gabor Mate, he says, if you have parents, you have trauma. So everybody <laughs> in the world, everybody in the world has trauma. Even if your parents um, are not with you, you know, or you are adopted, you had to have had two people come together to conceive you, and that in itself can create trauma. Or if you had the perfect family, there's going to be trauma there. And in the trauma world, we talk about different elements of trauma. So there's big T trauma, little T trauma. Big T trauma is something pretty big happening that really impacts the nervous system and you're going to see signs of PTSD. Little T trauma is more common. So little T trauma can happen when, you know, you were a a six-year-old and you got invited to a birthday party and you wore a t-shirt with like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on it, but that wasn't cool anymore and the kids made fun of you. Mm. You know what I mean? That can cause little t trauma. Or your parents were late picking you up one day and it started pouring rain and you were freezing and you had the thought that maybe you were going to be left there, you know? But there was a car accident on the highway and they couldn't do anything about being late. But as a child all your nervous system is doing is I'm being abandoned right now. So these little things can happen that can create like um, an imbalance in the nervous system. So when we do get stressed or triggered, our nervous system is like, Hey, guess what? There's a saber tooth tiger coming around the corner. You're about to die when we're trying to, you know, figure out our rent and our budget. Right. So that fight or flight mechanism go, yeah, it's, it's amazing to think that these traumas, small or big, will have a long-lasting impact into your yeah. into your financial realm. Yeah, I mean, how can we? So, what what do you think is the best way for people to recognize this so that they can look at their finances in a more positive light? Well, I think so. Just talking about like fight or flight. Um, there's a uh, fight or flight is so interesting. And I think it's something we need to pay more attention to when we are interacting with our, our finances. So um, if everything that we do in life, we we look at it through the lens of being a curious scientist. So my business partner in the lab, in the trauma of money, Hiroko, her meditation school is called the lab of meditation. And her psychotherapy firm is called Vancouver Brain Lab. And she's, the, she's really into this like whole laboratory thing. And I think it's an amazing analogy because if we say I'm a curious scientist and everything I counter is something I'm handling in the laboratory, this is essentially mindfulness, right? So when we encounter our finances, what's happening in our laboratory? What are we noticing? Are we noticing a sense of stress? Are we noticing tension in our, our chest? And then understanding what's happening on a neurochemical level and, you know, what's happening with your nervous system. So 
if we are interacting with our finances and we are feeling like we want to avoid, so what is avoidance? Avoidance is freeze, right? Mm-hmm. Or avoidance is flight. I'm running away from this. Um, these are things that we want to pay attention to and we want to understand what's happening um, on the the level of the body because once we can understand like what's happening in the body then it takes away ourselves away from that narrative of shame so i'll tell you a little bit about what happens in the body so there's a doctor dr bruce lipton and he's like the the godfather of epigenetics so um i'm not sure if you have ever talked about epigenetics on your podcast no i haven't but i this brings me back to my my mcgill days when i did some science and yeah epigenetics i feel like even then it was what like seven eight nine years ago i feel like there's probably been so much more research done on it but it was yeah. a hot button topic back when i was yeah. in school and it blew my mind but for our listeners that maybe aren't so familiar with epigenetics and lightness yeah, yeah. So epigenetics is really the study of, um, it, it's essentially the study of like generational trauma and like how basically um, what has happened in our past and what our nervous system is experiences are basically manipulating our cells and the reality that we live in. So Bruce Lipton, he's done incredible work around epigenetics and I was just listening to him recently and I loved how he described this. He said that our cells are either in a state of growth or they're in a state of protection. They can't be in either, or they can't be in the same um, state as one or the other. So if we're in a state of growth, we're like allowing stimuli to come in and we're in a state of evolution. If we're in a state of protection, so protection is fear, we're pushing away, right? And when our cells go in a state of protection or we're in a state of fear or we're in a state of trauma, and this can be so subtle, what happens is our nervous system goes into fight or flight and our nervous system is like, you need to run because you're about to be eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. So what happens is the blood basically goes to the arms and legs. And where does the blood leave? The blood, um, which Bruce Lipton says is really the one that's transporting energy, is it's leaving the gut. And what, what's happening is the, the blood vessels are basically squeezing in the gut. The blood's going to the arms and the legs, getting you ready for fight or flight. And when the blood's leaving the gut, um, basically our immune system is impacted. Uh, the gut and the blood in the gut is really in charge of like growth, repair, and maintenance of the body. So our body on a physiological level is not functioning properly. What happens to the brain? The, the energy in the brain goes back to the reptilian brain, which is about survival. And basically, we're losing the ability to access the part of our brain that is in charge of decision making. So just that wow. right there, yeah, tells us that if I'm in a state of scarcity, survival, and fear, how the hell am I going to make decisions about my finances? How are you going to make a decision if you're in the state of scarcity of whether to go use Uber Eats or not? Right? Yeah. Like these small little things, like this is what's happening in our brain and our body. And, uh, you know, we tend to, when we're in a state of fear or scarcity, we tend to make choices that are going to give us some comfort and pleasure in the moment and not allow us to feel any pain. Well, Dr. Gabor Mate says the definition of addiction is when we do something 
over and over again to temporarily get rid of pain, increase pleasure, but it has negative consequences. So to me, when I hear this, I hear overspending. I yeah. hear financial avoidance. You know, um, overspending, interesting fact, overspending is as common as anxiety and depression in North America. Wow. I, yeah. I did not know that. But if you, I mean, if I look around and I see the habits of the people, even in my life, yeah, overspending is a very common thing. Yeah. It, and yeah. I love his, his definition of addiction because I think when people think addiction, they think, you know, drug, substance abuse, alcohol, sex addiction, but shopping and spending money, that is something that will give you a quick hit, that quick yeah. happy hit, a little dopamine rush. Exactly. And it's something that can easily kind of go from a, an occasional habit to a very common constant habit and then have unfortunate financial consequences. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But when you are in a fight or flight moment and your, your brain is not making the best decisions and you go and press yes on Uber Eats, you know, maybe you kind of need to do Uber Eats at that very moment, you know? So yeah. how do you kind of know the difference between, okay, this is a, this is a good financial choice, or this is my brain not being able to really tell what the best decision is for this current moment. Yeah. So as Hiroko, my partner would say, it's like, it's become a, becoming a really good curious scientist and really getting to know what's happening um, within yourself. So mm -hmm. the first thing I say is like, practice the why of the buy. So if overspending is an issue, slow down and ask yourself, why am I buying this? If you're buying Uber Eats, cause you had a really stressful day and this is what you need, this nourishment right now, you need that soothing, just do it mindfully. Be aware that, hey, okay, I understand, like I'm doing this because I'm stressed. I'm doing this because I'm upset. This is what self-love feels to me right now. And I'm okay with that. But if you're doing that all the time and you are piling on the negative consequences, which will result in more stress from the overspending, that's what we need to look and say, hey, there has to be a, a, some transformation here. There has to be a change. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, sometimes we can't get to that place until we have a breakdown or we hit a rock bottom or there's something that puts us in a situation where we have just made so many of the mistakes that we're desperate for change. You know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes it takes people that state to get there. And there's also nothing wrong with that too. That is such a beautiful place to be where you're like at a complete like dissolution or the like falling of a part of the way you were living your life before that you're forced to make a change. That's like the metamorphosis stage of like the caterpillar and the butterfly. And right? I mean, you went through it. Yeah. You're and you're here. I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it's fucking terrifying the idea of hitting rock bottom. Yeah. But if you do find yourself there or you're headed in that direction, well, it's time to get back up. It's time to, yeah. you know, it's time to heal. It's time yeah. to ask the right questions, be curious and um, find the why of the buy. I've never heard that before. Find your why of your buy. I mean, that is, that is beautiful because we live in a state where social media is everywhere. And I keep thinking, you know, especially with the why of the buy, I'm constantly inundated with feeds of people wearing all these unique outfits every single day and they go on all these trips. And sometimes that makes me look at what I have and say, oh, well, I should get more. I need more. I don't, I don't have everything they have, but Hey, I could just throw it on my credit card, yeah. you know, amp up my, my wardrobe. And then maybe I'll feel 
I'll feel yeah. worthy. I definitely have had those thoughts many, many a time. Yeah. Or I'm, sure I'm not the only one. I mean, even when you were sharing your story about that Gucci handbag wanting yeah. so that you would fit in, I feel like that's something that a lot of people don't even realize that they're kind of going through as far as the thought process goes, that comparison theory and that wanting to buy just to fit in. Yeah. Which we're all guilty of. But yeah. I think if you can go back to asking yourself, why am I doing this? Yeah. Am I doing it because this is what I want and this is what I need? Or am I doing it for more superficial reasons and maybe yeah. not worthy of swiping that credit card or pulling up your phone and doing Apple Pay? Yeah, exactly. This is what we call societal trauma. So um, we live in a world of consumerism. If you feel bored, you feel lonely, you feel inadequate um, or any pain, there's a solution and it comes in the form of a product or a service. So, you know, this is what advertising does. And Instagram, we're inundated with advertising. And, you know, the thing is, is like um, that why of the buy kind of helps us see like, hey, what's really happening here? Why do we really need this? But um, the muscle that you really need to work on is your self, your self-worth and your self-compassion. And that happens alongside being a, being mindful about your spending. And it happens with doing other things that have absolutely nothing to do with money. For instance, having a deep connection with your breath, using your breath as a way to regulate your nervous system. You know, like breathing in through your left nostril, if you block your right nostril very slowly, so if you try that, just block your right nostril and take a deep breath in through your left. And a slow exhale through the left. So this right here is activating the parasympathetic nervous system, which can basically hack our calm state. So, you know, my clients that are compulsive spenders yeah. or compulsive eaters or have any compulsion, I have them do this um, left nostril breathing seven times every morning for 40 days and they see significant shifts because they start knowing like hey I, I can actually control and regulate my nervous system so that's one way another way is exercise so you know exercise will allow you to start connecting with the body um you know feeling especially if you exercise in community community and connection is so powerful to to pull yourself out of a state of addiction and you know i really believe based on dr gabor mate's definition is that we all are and we're all on the scale of addiction somewhere yeah right um and then uh like compassionate conversation and thoughts towards yourself you know, like saying things like I can't afford that basically is a blanket statement for all areas of time, past, present, future. How about you say, that sounds amazing. I, in this moment, it's just not my budget, but maybe in the future, you know what I mean? Like That's language is so shift, powerful. Even, even just you saying it, your face yeah. changed. Yeah. The first yeah. one, I can't afford it looked you know, looked a little bit sad. And then, yeah. And then your, your facial expression changed when you say, but maybe one day. Yeah. Yeah. And how good does it feel to say like, it's not in the budget right now, but maybe in the future, like, yeah. oh, I'm not grasping to anything because the thing is like, is when we grow, when we evolve our consciousness, we, when we evolve our health, what happens is like the structures that we're used to surviving, they, they explode, they fall apart. 
So we can never get as attached to structures because in a state of evolution and the universe wants us to evolve, our body is evolution. In that state of evolution, old structures fall apart and we move on so we can't get attached to them. So that's why talking in the, in the way of like, I'm this, I, I'm a victim, I'm poor, I'm in poverty, I can't afford it. I don't make enough money. This is like, these are statements that are creating your reality. So like, let's talk in the way of like, I understand that it is, we live in this cyclical universe where things fall apart. We open space, we recreate. Then we, we evolve to another level. Shit falls apart. We create and then we evolve. And it's this cycle, right? Wow. And I just love that you keep bringing it back to sense of self and self-worth. Yeah. Because... I mean, that is powerful for every single part of your life. But if you can look yourself in the mirror and say like, I'm okay, I am worth it. That will change the way that you walk into the world, whether you're walking in to ask for a raise or you're having to deal with your finances or you're walking into a store and you have to say, oh, I can't afford that right now, but maybe one day. Like all comes back to sense of self. And yeah. I think that is a really, really tricky thing for a lot of people to really, truly love themselves and to reconnect with their inner being and their inner power. And yeah. I think that's where your kind of background in Kundalini and in meditation is, is going to help your clients and help our listeners realize that they got this. They just gotta, they just gotta do the work. They gotta do the healing. Yeah. Yeah. I always say like, um, because I'm involved in the recovery world, we like in the recovery world, we work a program, right? Like we work a 12 step program where we work, we work a recovery program and it's like everybody is on a program, whether they realize it or not. If you don't realize you're on a program, you're probably on the program of consumerism. Mm. And that means that you're being influenced by consumerism narratives. You might be influenced by your inner child trauma. You might be influenced. Your programming might be, I'm not worthy. So it it's not your fault that you have been hurt. It's not your fault that you've had trauma, but it is your responsibility to, to create and work your own program. Right. So it's like, get a program or be programmed. Wow. And how do you, let's say, let's say you, you realize I don't want to be programmed anymore. It's time for me to step up and find a program. How do you start that process? How do you start that journey where you stop playing victim and start playing driver? Yeah. I mean, I do a lot of work with, um, uh, indigenous communities and uh, the there's a lot of like world views from the um, indigenous uh, lineage that are so abundant and incredible such as you know seeing the fact that there's so much abundance in nature and we never take more than we need right one of the indigenous worldviews is that they don't like to say like if someone is a criminal, they don't like to use the words like an offender or that person is an offender or if someone has been in, you know, traumatized, that person is a victim. Mm-hmm. They, in the indigenous worldview, they would look at it as this stuff happened to you or you did this stuff, but you are not this, mm-hmm. right? So you're not this. And it comes back to the language. And when we start noticing that we are, we are not the programming um, and we have the ability to create our own programming, it starts opening us up to the possibilities of what's out there. So um, 
for me in my own path, like how do I find a program that worked for me? I just kind of hit a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I want to be, I want to create space because I, I cleared a lot of shit because there was so much pain. I want to open up space for ways that I can have a new program for myself. So I just connected with, with different types of like recovery programs or communities. So, you know, I know that you have the healthiest hot run club. That is a program. Amazing. That's a program, right? Because that's you taking control of the way that you feel. That's all a program is. You don't have to go to a 12-step program. You don't have to do Kundalini. You just find something that works for you that is basically connecting you to a power greater than whatever programming is not working for you. And basically, it will help you and your financial health as well. Oh, absolutely. It always comes back to health and it always comes back. And it's so much more than physical health. Like it's, I think sometimes that's the biggest misconception is people think health and they they think it's what you eat or it's how often you move your body. And of course those are very important things. But I think that inner happiness, that inner health, that mental health, that's really the foundation of all health and you, you can build from there. Um, yeah. You've thrown a Kundalini a couple times. For those that don't know what Kundalini is, what, like, what is it? Cause Bianca's told me about this too. <laughs> and I, I'm like, I, I still need to go and try, but Kundalini is one of your programs. So, you know, what yeah. is that all about? Um, so Kundalini is, um, they call it the yoga of awareness. So in a typical Kundalini class, you are most likely going to do some sort of breath work. So they really use the breath to like activate different parts and regulate different parts of the nervous system. And then you might do a really weird exercise, like have your hands over your head for 30 minutes and like do like a, you know, do, chant something. So the interesting thing about this is about 10 minutes into this, your arms are on fire and your mind is like you need to put your hands down like you're you're hurting yourself and what's happening is back to that uh, analogy of the science lab you get to watch your thoughts and you you listen to the crazy thoughts i can't do this i can't do this and you push yourself through and you survive and what happens is you learn that if you can take control of your thoughts you can really handle any situation. And this is why Kundalini is so powerful because you, they put you through these crazy, you know, exercises and you're like, I'm going to die. And you don't die. And you're just like getting stronger. So that's why I literally I have my hands above my head and it's been, yeah. it's been like a minute and they're already on fire. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah. I'm impressed. That's good. Cause it's hard, but you know, when you're in a group setting and it's, it's a little bit easier yeah. because you're like on the group, but yeah, you, you know, we call Kundalini Kundaluni because like you go to the class <laughs> and you're like, what the hell is happening here? But honestly, like some of the practices are so incredible. A lot of the Kundalini that we see in North America is taught by a lineage um, by a teacher named Yogi Bhajan. I didn't learn specifically that method because I was trained in India. Um, but it's really this, these practices are like 3000 years old, no matter who you're kind of learning from. And they are powerful. Like the yogic, um, philosophies knew so much about like the nervous system and the brain 3000 years ago that like medicine is just catching up now. And it's, it's so incredible. 
So I, I find Kundalini to be really powerful. One thing that's a really important part of Kundalini is we have a daily um, devotional practice, meaning every morning we, we start our day intentionally. And we start our day intentionally by like my morning practice is basically me sitting down and I'm doing like some spinal twists, like just moving my body, just opening up the spine um, and uh, just kind of doing some warm ups and some slow breathing. And then I'll probably do the left nostril breathing or some sort of breath work and then I'll sit in meditation. And that's really for me what Kundalini is like is that daily devotional practice. Wow. Well, I, I, I like your program. Your program sounds real, real nice. Oh, it is. Um, it's delicious. <laughs> well, you are clearly very passionate about all things healing and being aware and meditation and Kundalini. And I love that you've kind of merged these two worlds together, you know, with trauma of money, with what the finances, you know, what would you say are the biggest concerns people have when they come to you? Because what you and your team are offering is very different it's not your traditional approach to money. So if people are coming to you, I imagine they must have unique stories and unique concerns to yeah. be willing and open enough to look at finances in this very holistic health oriented way. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So the interesting thing is when pe people come to me, like the Kundalini piece, yeah. a lot of people don't come to me for any of that. Cause I don't actually talk about Kundalini in any of my business stuff. You know about it because of Bianca. Yeah. But like, um, I mean, I subtly throw it into the practices like, Hey, let's do this breath exercise yeah. for the nervous system. That is a Kundalini practice. But, um, what people are often coming to me for is I, I see a lot of people who are overspending and avoiding their finances. So those are the two most common. And then with that, and the third most common is this like, um, lack of worthiness um, and leading to undercharging. So I work with a lot of freelancers and entrepreneurs who are undercharging or not being able to negotiate raises for themselves. So those are the three main things that I see. And it's mostly women that I work with um, when I work one-on-one. -on -one. And, uh, you know, and then those things, like I can see the direct correlation between um, that like self-worth and those financial behaviors. And when we start looking at like the, where's the self-worth coming from? That's when we start exploring what we call trauma scripting. So what, what, where are you getting these scripts in your head that you're acting out? You know what I mean? Um, so that's typically the, mo the most common things that I see. Wow. So if you are going through any of that, you now know who you can hit up for resources. <laughs> but let's say just, I just want to quickly touch on the fact that you talked about avoidance. Yeah. Um, it's tax season. Oh yeah. There are a lot of people who have been avoiding doing them, looking at them, owning up to their current situation, or maybe have just completely not done them for the past couple of years. You yeah. know, for someone who might be in a situation of avoidance, what would you say to them just to kind of help encourage them to take that first step? Yeah. So first thing I would say is if you live in Canada, <clears throat> there's a CRA scam going on where they call people and say like, I've been caught. You, yeah. You haven't paid your taxes. You're going to get arrested. There's a warrant out for your arrest. So people get like, it's so funny to hear the reaction because people get like, oh, is this true? Like, did I mess up my taxes? there's a lot of fear around taxes. Like the government is not going to arrest you unless you're like 
a stock broker stug, like smuggling millions of dollars to you know Cuba or whatever. Like you're not going to be arrested if you're a couple years late on your taxes. Um, obviously, it's not something you want to do because there are some financial repercussions. Like you owe a debt to the government now. So it's kind of like making sure that your fear is in check. Like it's not a life or death situation. It's something that is actually manageable, but we believe that like avoiding it will basically just like kind of minimize the pain, but it actually creates more pain and more pain leads to self-esteem issues, right? So one thing that we say in the recovery world is esteemable action leads to self-esteem. If you are having self-worth issues, you don't have the self-esteem to like open up the taxes and deal with it. Do contrary action. Do something that is esteemable and that will lead to the feelings of self-esteem. And, you know, so that's the thing I say with avoidance. It's like, you don't want to do it. Just do it and then pay attention how good you feel after. It's like cleaning your apartment. Like, yeah. Who wants to clean their apartment? But, but how do you feel? It feels so good after. And then you look around so and you're like, I did, my place is clean. Yes. Yeah. That's an example of esteemable action leads to self-esteem. Right? But it's the problem is, and we talked about this before, is we live in a world that says you should never experience any discomfort. Mm. Right? That's not true. That's a myth. Yeah. You no, know, sometimes esteemable action is uncomfortable, but afterwards it feels really good. So you guys, you can do this. Just you do it. You can do this. And Start you know, by cleaning your apartment and then do your taxes. <laughs> yeah. And I've worked with so many entrepreneurs who are like years on filing their taxes late. Yeah. And they're, so they just like let it like go by and go by and they feel so guilty. And, and the cost, the emotional cost that they're carrying for doing that is so much higher than like any interest they have to pay. So I work with them. I'm like, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to collect inventory as your first step. How much do you think you owe? You know, or, or like, what do you think you need to do to figure out like where you're at? So let's do some inventory. And then one of the things I'll say is I want you to call CRA and say, listen, I'm late be truthful, tell them why you're late and say, would you put me on a payment plan when I file my taxes, if I owe money? And they will say, wow, thank you so much for being proactive and calling us. And of course we'll put you on a payment plan because they're just so grateful that you actually like were truthful and called yeah. them. I, I didn't even know that was an option. That's great. That's yeah, so Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so you've obviously been through quite a journey. Your your relationship with financial health has obviously gone through a journey. With everything that you've been through, when you think of financial health, kind of how do you feel? Does it bring you joy? Does it still bring you concern? How are you kind of on your healing journey? Well, you know, the thing is, I talked about the cyclical nature of the universe. I'm I feel like I'm constantly in a state of refinement, mm. right? So if I see my life as a state of refinement, that allows me to not be so shameful about when mistakes do come up or when times come up that are, are challenging financially or emotionally, because it's just all about refinement, right? So um, I think that I've had so much growth 
And I also know that like, I just recently, so we just launched the trauma of money program in January. This is something I've been basically working my whole career towards. Um, and I had a, a, a situation with my own mental health and, and my own physical health that put me in a state where I wasn't able to work for about a month while I'm in this time zone of, of promoting this business that's like my baby. So what happens, I'm physically sick and I go into scarcity mode. Oh my God, this is going to fail. What am I going to do? And I start getting desperate and grasping and freaking out and shaming myself. So what's happening to me is exactly the stuff that I know and I teach and I have to remind myself that this is, this is the cycle of our evolution. So what a gift it was for me to experience that right before my program is about to start because God, do I have so much compassion if anyone's in that right now, right? Wow. So, well, I'm yeah. glad that you're doing better. I'm <laughs> grateful that you are even doing this podcast with everything that you've got going on. Um, tra trauma of money, I think, will help a lot of people with more than just their finances. Yeah. Love that you're kind of, you're basically assembling this like Avengers style team of people yeah. to go out into the world and do what they do best with a link to finances, which is, oh, it's a terrifying word. It's a terrifying concept. So definitely really appreciate this. Um, and before I let you go, beautiful, I'll put all your links in the description. So definitely follow Chantal and everything she's doing. We always like to end every episode um, with what does healthy is hot mean to you? Oh, such a good question. Healthy is hot means um, having the wisdom to strengthen the health of my nervous system. So basically what that translates to is like knowing that everything that happens is external stimuli and then there's my reaction to it. So how can I strengthen my nervous system so I'm reacting in a way that is loving towards myself and loving towards the world? Mic drop. <laughs> I really had no idea you were going to geek out so much over the nervous system and like <laughs> everything. This completely blew me away. I'm like, oh, my, all I'm going to talk about is like the CNS and the ANS. And, oh my gosh. But... <laughs> Um, but thank you so, so much. Congratulations on thank you, Chloe. money. Definitely, definitely check it out. And I think there's, there's some amazing takeaways here. And I feel like it's all about reconnecting with yourself and having that self-awareness and just knowing it's okay to hit rock bottom. Totally. You just got to climb back out. Yeah. Breakdown to breakthrough. Breakdown to breakthrough. And also yeah. the why of the buy. Yeah. The why of the buy. buy. That's know your one. why. Yeah. Before you buy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Thanks, thank Chloe. So thank you so much for everything you're doing uh, for the world with healing. And, you know, like Healthy is Hot is a program. And it's it's amazing out there. So, you know, if you guys are listening and you don't know where to start, like Healthy is Hot is a program. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, I love it. I love it. Okay. Amazing. Well, I love this program. I love your program. Here's some more amazing ones. Thanks so much, Chloe. And just like that, another episode of the Healthiest Hot Podcast. 
Once again, I'm your host, Chloe Wild. A huge thanks to Home, this really cool modern meditation space in Toronto for hosting us and making us feel right at home today. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe so you never miss out on experience FOMO. Rate and leave us a comment and also follow us on Instagram at Hot. But most of all, remember, healthy is fucking beautiful. I'll see you next week.